Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We have episode 513 of the Barcelona Podcast brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I have the pleasure of welcoming back to the show after way, way, way too long, Zach Lowy from Breaking the Lines. We're talking to Portuguese football today, so welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's great to be back. I'm doing very well. And yeah, like, like you said, I've been producing a lot of good stuff on Breaking the Lines, my website uh, and my Twitter account. So we're producing some fantastic articles that you definitely should be checking out and is including some stuff related to Barcelona and uh, have a feeling it's going to be a, f- a matter of time before we get uh, an article on the new revelations of this season, whether that's Lamin Yamal, Fermin Lopez, uh, some very exciting storylines for Barcelona. But uh, yeah, we're, we're covering just about every single angle of football with breaking the lines. So definitely stay tuned for that. Yeah, I can't think of a better person, though, to, to preview this Barcelona versus Porto Champions League matchup. So let's dive right in. And you're going to be the Porto expert here, of course. And it does feel like it's a Champions League, sure. But this might be the biggest match for Barcelona in the Champions League group stage. Same thing for Porto. It's for Barcelona on the road against FC, FC Porto in Portugal. So actually, I think before we even go over the team stuff and the formations and recent form and all that, Let's dive into the most confusing and most difficult part. So I, I feel like people love when you really confuse them and, and twist them around beforehand, and then you get into the more easier stuff. So let's dive into the players that we'll probably see, and then we can go over the tactics and the recent matches and the like and things like that. So to me, I could pretty much put six starters down in pen from this Porto team from what I've seen this season without even knowing the formation. The manager in Sergio Conteisao has gone from a 4-4-2 and a 4-2-3-1 but very much like Xavi, when you say the formation has changed or they're, they're opting in for a different thing, the ideas are very much the same. The passages of play seem to be very much the same regardless of the formation he goes with. And the six starters I have are Medi Teremi, Steven Eustachio, and Alan Varela as the deeper central midfielders. And then Galeno on the right, on the left wing, rather, and Jao Murillo at right back, and then Diego Costa in goal. So those are the six I pretty much have in pen or marker in this Starting lineup, they seem to all be healthy and the like. Zidu, the left back, is injured. So I think we can probably also slot in Wendell at left back. Almost a guarantee there, unless Zidu gets healthy real quickly. Then you've got a bunch of injuries where we don't really know the timelines for, including the old uh, Barcelona friend of Pepe, that being the center back, the, the one everybody knows that I, I love so much. And then the Brazilian wonderkin from Palmeiras a few years ago, Gabriel Verón, 
He's now a 21-year-old, just okay prospect. But the big name up top, the Brazilian name you'd really need to know is Emilson, who looks like he's going to miss out due to an ankle injury. Hasn't really been able to feature this year too much. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other options, though. This Porto team, pretty deep in players. The manager at least trusts a little. He does use a lot of players, though. The left winger, Pepe. The right winger, Consuelo Borges, who came up from the B team. The center forward, Tony Martinez. The attacking midfielder, Andre Franco. The center forward, Fran Navarro. Nico Gonzalez, we'll talk about him in a second, though. Barcelona player, the attacking midfielder, Ivan Wame, and the old UEFA Youth League darling, now 23-year-old Romario Bardo. So that's a lot of options for a few spots. So I am going to put you on the spot pretty early on here. And of course, with those, again, injuries, we don't even, it's the Monday, so we don't actually know if Pepe, that being the center back, Pepe is healthy or anything like that. But yeah, who would you be bet would be starting in this game for Porto? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a tough one. As you mentioned, there are a few players who are amongst the first names on the team sheet. But I think that Barca- I mean, Porto, they've gone with a few different formations. In fact, they even went with a three-man back line against Estrella da Madora. But given the fact that Ivan Marcano is out for the next few months, I believe, and I'm not really sure what the deal with Pepe is. You know, I, I would definitely expect it to be 4-2-3-1, probably. You know, I, I, he's gone with a 4-4-2 and a 4-3-3 at times. But yeah, I think that it's probably going to be Diogo Costa in goal for me, one of the best goalkeepers in all of European football. Then, you know, you'd have Joao Mario at right back. I really don't know what's the, what's going to be the deal with the center backs because, yeah, Pepe, as much of a legend as he is, He's, what, 40 years old and just becoming increasingly injury-prone. Yeah, missed out on a really big game on Friday against Benfica. I'm not sure. I know that he'll do everything it takes to make uh, the game against Barcelona, but I just don't know if he'll be able to, uh, to make it. So in the case that he's not available, it would probably be Fabio Cardoso, who got an early red card uh, on Friday in the one nothing loss to Benfica. And yeah, probably going with Cardoso and Carmo. I know that he subbed on Zay Pedro for his professional debut, but uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any reason for him to not go with Cardoso. I thought that that red card was particularly harsh, so I don't think that he would be punishing him. But I think left back, yeah, Wendell. Wendell has definitely made that position his own over Zaidu Sanusi. It, I thought for me he was he was definitely one of their best players against Benfica. Really strong in physical duels. Uh, really confident going forward with the ball. Player who I've been critical of because of you know the fantastic caliber of left backs that Porto have had from players like Alexandro, Alex Tejas, Miguel Layun. But I think that he has he definitely showed up against Benfica. As far as midfield and attack goes, I I guess that's where most of my doubts are because, you know, Porto have have lost quite a few key players. They lost Mateus Uribe, this uh, Colombian veteran who was the defensive midfield linchpin and allowed players like Steven Lustakio, Otavio, and Galeno to go forward and, and have more freedom on the ball. But uh, obviously he's a big loss, but they, they went and got Alan Varela from Boca Juniors uh, so I definitely expect Varela to be starting in the double pivot alongside Steven Lustakio. 
And so, yeah, I would probably expect a 4-2-3-1. I'm just not sure, like, what, what else is going to happen because, you know, Romario Barro, a player who, uh, you know, has, has been, uh, has had a few loan spells at Casapia and Estoril, some, some mid-table sides and hasn't really been able to come close to the promise that he showed at the youth level for Porto. It was a huge surprise when he was selected for the game against Benfica, and I just, I, I wasn't able to see much of him because Benfica were kind of in, they, they were kind of having one-way traffic, and after 22 minutes, you know, Car- Cardoso got sent off, and unfortunately for Bardo, you know, you can't play against Benfica with just one center back, so he was substituted off for Zé Pedro. I don't, I don't know if Barro gets to start again. I feel like it'll probably be Andre Franco or maybe even Ivan Jaime. I know that, you know, Jaime is obviously Spanish. I was very surprised to see Jaime not in the lineup because, you know, it was just a few months ago that he was named the best young talent in the Primera. For me, a very good player who I think has what it takes to fill Otavio's void. But, uh, obviously Otavio, that's, that's another talking point for me the most indispensable player in Portugal over the past two years or so. Just what he brings to the table in terms of his defensive work rate, in terms of his creativity, his ability to just break down deep blocks, so necessary. So honestly, I mean, as somebody who's pretty much watched every Porto game this season, I think, I mean, obviously they they have had a very good start to the season in terms of points, but... I really think that the performances have been lacking. Like, if you watch a 90-minute performance of Porto, you'll think to yourself, you know, if it wasn't for Diogo Costa, this, time, this team might be in fourth or fifth because there's they're just not really stringing together passes. I do think that Porto, one thing that they've been really good on uh, uh, under Sergio Conceição is, like, fighting adversity. You know, we've seen it in the Champions League so many times uh, over his, what, six, seven years in charge where Porto, they'll be, you know, they'll go down to 10 men or they'll be playing at Juventus or a, a European powerhouse and they'll be able to dig deep, soak up pressure and hit on the counter. And uh, we saw that from Porto, to be fair. I mean, they, they produced a very good performance that for me deserved at least a point against Benfica. You know, I, I think that they were very good in terms of in terms of not giving up after that red card and, and uh, continuing the pressure. You know, they, they had actually a very solid performance, in my opinion. But yeah, they're a team that is is a team that that is very good at digging in, at soaking up pressure and uh, finding the right moment to pounce. And another thing, you know, if you look at their matches from this season, so many of them have have been yeah late results. We saw that you know against Arauca where they scored in like the nineties in like the nineteenth minute of extra time or something to secure a draw. We've seen so many late winners this season. It's been ridiculous. But that's what Porto does, right? They they know how to get results without playing very well. But yeah, I, I do think that a part of that is Otavio, just in terms of how reliant they were on him. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. 
Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. That's where I want to hit next, Otavio, for sure. And then, because you've gone over so many things and hit so many matches, so I want to kind of pick out more detail from all the things that you've said now. And so I, I do want to start with almost the summertime, right? Because in the window, they parted with Otavio, as you mentioned, for 60 mil at the age of 28. So you could argue still very much in his prime. Diego Lette, the center back, also goes to Union Berlin for 7.5 mil. But otherwise, the team, as you mentioned, is largely still intact with, uh, yeah, a few pieces here or there, the mid- uh, veteran midfielder. But as you mentioned, those key pieces like Ivan Jaime comes in, Nico Gonzalez, Brella as a player who Kool-Aids are familiar with because I thought, Looking at some of his stuff, I watched two of his games for Boca Juniors, and I was like, okay, this kid is certainly should be on the radar to be a quote-unquote Sergio Busquets replacement. But Porto kind of felt like that might have been his, his level. And then you mentioned Navarro, too. All of those players added, as well as Francisco Conceição and Jorge Sanchez from Ajax, which are two loans that don't look to be working out very well, even though those players came in with a bit of fanfare. But back to the uh, Otavio point. I can't think of Porto, honestly. I can't think of Porto from the last few years without thinking of Otavio. There, there's a stretch there where I can tell you in the maybe five, six, seven years ago when I wasn't really familiar with them. So I think from my Porto understanding is Jackson Martinez era, you know, 10 years ago or such. And then, yeah, maybe I took a few years off there. <laughs> then, and then it's me seeing them led by Otavio, him kind of being the guy. But I, I get the price too. I, as a piece of business, $60 million to Saudi Arabia for a 28-year-old, you take that deal. But as you said, do you think Porto this season is missing him and still kind of adapting without him? Yeah, absolutely. I think that any team in Portugal would miss a player of Otavio's caliber. And yeah, with regards to Otavio, this summer, well, yeah, he had a release clause that started at the start of the window and that ended in July on July 15th. That was just $40 million. And after he after the clause expired... He said, like, uh, he tweeted, you know, you're going to have to deal with me for another year. Like, let's go Porto. So everybody was under the impression that uh, he was going to stay. And th- until Al Nasser, you know, Chris- Cristiano Ronaldo's club decides to make an offer for his current release clause, which was $60 million, which, you know, wasn't just $60 million for Porto because they had to divide it with a bunch of other stuff you know, and splitting the the bill and whatnot. But I think that Otavio, he's just such a massive loss in terms of his vision, in terms of his leadership, so many things. And yeah, at 28 or so, you know, he's got that veteran experience. So that's something that's obviously going to take time for for a young player like Romario Barro, Ivan Jaime, or Andre Franco, to fill that void and I think that's got to be the biggest question mark going into this this game but yeah it it goes without saying that Otavio he's just a massive loss obviously losing Uribe in midfield is pretty significant I think that Alan Varela is going to grow into that spot but I think that yeah Otavio it's just so hard to find somebody who who comes close to checking all the boxes like Otavio does. Yeah, so let me let me jump in there. You mentioned uh, Medi Taremi, the center forward, and Galeno on the left wing. Looking at the Shakhtar Donetsk result, a 3-1 win, and then a brace from Galeno, which was very opportunistic, just kind of taking advantage of Shakhtar Donetsk's mistakes to go up 2-1, and then Medi Taremi putting the game away. 
uh, Galenia also creating uh, Galeno creating that from the left wing. Easy cross in, but I mean in the right place. Strikers goal, 29th minute. So this match, that being the one between Barcelona and Porto, obviously I've said it, it feels like it's for first in the group. So the two things there about Tonami and Galeno really being the, the two driving forces of this attack so far this year. And I don't know, when you watch that, that again, the Shakhtar Donetsk game, it, it did feel like Porto more took advantage of their opportunities and kind of took the game for themselves. Do you think that they were just a class above Shakhtar Donetsk? And to that regard, I mean, I think to focus on Tonami and Galeno, those being the two attackers that Barca needs to focus on, as we've talked about the issues with the right wing without Odevio and them kind of still figuring that out. So, I mean, what do you think that also in terms of, again, not just Shakhtar Donetsk, but throughout the season, what do you think that Tornemi and Galeno have brought to the table that Kules will need to be watching out for? Yeah, well, look, I think that with regards to the attack, it's not just Tornemi and Galeno, but also Pepe. I know that he wasn't available. He, he didn't play against Shakhtar, but he was struggling with some injury. But he's he's a tremendous player who's been utilized uh, at fullback as well as wing ba- winger, but he's definitely a natural winger and so good at changing direction and utilizing his speed. And so I think that he's going to be a problem as well. I think that's going to be Pepe Otavio, Pepe uh, Galeno and Taremi up top. Yeah, with regards to Taremi, obviously he's been, you know, the best striker in Portugal for the past three, four years, you know, joining from on the back of Rio Ave when he finished joint top scorer in his first season in Europe. And then, yeah, producing some very high high caliber seasons for Porto, leading them to the title and then finishing top scorer last season. I do think that there's been some question marks from Porto fans like, you know, is he a player who's who's in decline? Should we have sold him this past summer but when his contract's going to expire in 2024? But when he's on his day, he just offers so much in terms of his hold-up play, his ability to to get to get into goal scoring positions. Everybody criticizes him for being a diver and going down easily. But uh, to be fair, he does get into those positions where defenders maybe get may get a little nervous and may decide to uh, to foul him in the box. So he's just a very tough player to deal with. I think with regards to Galeno. Definitely kind of like a hot and cold player, but but he's a player who I think is becoming gradually more hot than he is cold. He's a player who, yeah, came to Porto from Brazil at an early age, didn't really get much game time, went to Braga, did very well there, and was even being utilized as a wing back. So I think that Galeno, he's, he's a player who definitely thrives in big matches where there's a lot of space available. Because, you know, he's just a very, he's a tireless player who is constantly getting forward and and, and pushing forward with the ball. I do think that if his decision making was a little better, he'd probably be in a, a bigger, a much bigger club like a Premier League side. Because, yes, there are games where, you know, he'll just be absolutely unstoppable, as we saw against Shakhtar, where, you know, he, he actually should have had a hat trick. But a Shakhtar player, uh, he was on the counter and the Shakhtar player uh, pulled up with a hamstring. And instead of going for the hat trick, he decided to kick the ball out of play, which I thought was a very nice touch of class. Yeah, I think that he's a player who, um, like I said, just a bit hot and cold. But when he's on his day, he can be just lethal in in terms of bringing down a long ball with his first touch. 
cutting inside and and you know he loves to have a shot on goal. He's not um, necessarily reticent towards playing Todd Amy or someone else with a through ball, but uh, I think that he's a player who's who's just so effective at cutting in and threatening from long range. The thing about Porto, which is a bit interesting, is they do have a lot of very good strikers, but you know you still get the sensation that Porto are going to approach this with a one striker team. But I do think that they have a lot of potential game changers from the attack. You know, Evan Nielsen was absolutely massive in their title winning campaign, really came kind of uh, got knocked down to earth last season with a lot of injuries and inconsistencies. And I think that he's going to have to work to, to get his way back into the lineup because right now he's just kind of, yeah, he, he's kind of on the decline, if you will, in terms of his form. Fran Navarro, a player who's been, who was absolutely magnificent for Gil Vicente, another Spanish striker who I think got, what, 33 goals across two league seasons for Jill, which is just, you know, unheard of for a mid-table team like that. I've been a bit surprised that he hasn't had more uh, opportunities, but I think he's a fantastic player. Tony Martinez, another very good, like, battering ram, kind of a player who's who's very effective at uh, in, in aerial duels, and, and he's just been a very good super sub for Porto. And as well as Dani Namaso Loder, a player who I'm just, yeah, I'm very incredulous, has not had more minutes because I think he's a brilliant forward. Um, and for me, the the best possible Taremi uh, replacement. So I think that, yeah, Conceição, he's going to trust with, with, with Taremi because obviously he's, he's been leading the line for quite some time. But I do think that there are some players who could come off, who could come on against tired legs and potentially cause this Barcelona defense some issues. You know, I know that last season they had the best defense in Europe, but I've I've caught a few games of Barcelona this season, and I'll be honest, they've looked kind of all over the place uh, defensively. So I I think that Barcelona they will definitely be the favorites. You know, I, like I said, I still think that Porto they they aren't necessarily what I call early risers. Like that hasn't been the case for the past few years, even even with even with their title-winning campaign where they got a Portuguese league record 91 points and uh, won the Taça de Portugal, they still took a, a long time to get it together to figure out what kind of team they want to be. And, yeah, it actually wasn't until January after they sold Luis Diaz that they were able to just step it up and and start playing some really good football. So they're a team that can take some time to get adjusted, especially after losing, you know, key players like Uribe and Otavio. But this is still, I mean, this is still the best Portuguese team when it comes to, when it comes to uh, Champions League performances. You know, Porto, they're not a team that, that goes lightly. And I, I think that they are going to be able to get out of this group. Yeah, I mean, I think they are favorites. Second, having watched World Antwerp, but then seeing what they did against Chateau already taking care of business. So we already did kind of go over the the last match that they played, that being a uh, one nothing loss to rivals Benfica, down to 10 men after that early red card. They survived until the 68th minute, until Angel Del, uh, Di Maria, who else scores the, the winner, putting them on 16 points. 
that being Porto, Benfica on 18, and Sporting CP sit at top table with 19, albeit having not played the other two yet. Yeah, and you mentioned that you think that obviously from Friday to Wednesday, that's a lot of time to kind of regroup, figure things out. And you mentioned the big player for that would be Diego Costa, the 24-year-old goalkeeper. And already, I was going to ask you, talking about it, a top, top goalkeeper, how soon are we going to be doing that already? And you've already given your opinion there. So I, I want to pivot a little bit, a few more questions here on Porto, then we'll, we'll do Barca to end the show here. So Sergio Cancesao, how much is he a manager that both Porto fans and that, that you trust? Like, do you think, again, he's somebody that is more of a, and I think a lot of times in modern football, we kind of put these managers in two different camps. There's like the man managers where you say Ancelotti is one of the best who does that. And then there's like the tactics managers, like the, the Zarbi from Brighton, where you really put them in those two different camps. So I, I would I would ask, yeah, I mean, how much is Porto fans kind of buy into what he's doing? And how much is the team kind of, you know, rah-rah behind him? Or is he really the the X and O kind of guy that the, the, the club is saying, hey, this is your project and, and do what you want with it? I would probably lean lean towards the first one. I do think that Conceição doesn't get enough credit for his tactics because uh, you know he th- to do what he's been able to do. You know, coming to a Portuguese football landscape that was dominated by Benfica, right? A Benfica team that had won four in a row, and to get Porto what like three league titles since then. I mean, it's it's just incredible what he's been able to accomplish, not just domestically, but also in Europe. But I think that is, he's, he's definitely a play. He's definitely a manager who, yeah, he's a bit like a drill sergeant in the army, just getting everybody to, to fight. And like, I've joked around uh, about this before, like Porto will put it, will, will, will play some of the worst football imaginable, imaginable, and they'll still find a way to get 85 points because that's what this team does. I mean, there, there are people that dr- that joke about it, like the Rasa da Dragum. Rasa is a Hasa is a Portuguese word that basically means like grit and just uh, toughness. You know, fighting tooth and nail to get uh, a, a result. I think that he's somebody who definitely is able to who, who's able to get these players to fight for him and to fight for Football Club Porto. So I think that, you know, he's definitely somebody who, like I said, is is kind of, you know, similarly to Simeone, is just so good at getting these players psyched up for a big match, you know, where where they, they are they're they're coming into this match as the underdogs and yeah, maybe they've got a big injury or a big suspension, but they're able to to compete and to just win their physical duels. And I think that he's he's definitely a coach who, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of things that I've, I've been critical of him, you know, for being kind of a sore loser a lot of times. I remember at the, the Super Cup just, um, um, just in August, about two months ago, where Porto got down to losing 2 nothing to Benfica and... They had a red card, and and Conceição got a red, and he refused to leave for like two minutes until the captain Marcano uh, persuaded him to leave. So I, yeah, he's he's somebody who is definitely um, definitely a fiery personality. But with that being said, I I don't think it's all just uh, you know pregame speeches and getting players hyped. I think that you know love him or hate him. 
the fact is he's one of the best managers in Portugal. Zach did have to go in quite the hurry, so I appreciate his time coming on the show. But you're with me to finish this one out as we again continue to finish previewing this Barcelona versus Porto match. Some of the other notes you need to know. So Nico Gonzalez, we didn't really talk about him at all. Zach didn't even mention his name, really, because he does play off the bench, which, judging on the five appearances in eight matches and 268 minutes so far this season, it's possible that Barcelona will see him. But I, I don't think that you're going to see too much of Nico Gonzalez in a Barcelona uniform, just judging by at least the first month and a half of this sale because with a 30 million euro buyback it's not like he's on loan it's a 30 million euro buyback so obviously something will need to change for him at some point this season or beyond but for Varela to also be signed and brought in and become the starter and Nico not really see that time to pivot there are big questions on how Nico Gonzalez would fit in a Barcelona midfield under Xavi going forward also want to mention too the legacy of Porto in the Champions League they won the whole dang thing with Xiao Moreno in 2004. That was a long, long time ago, though, at least in football time. They actually won the European Cup, though, speaking of a long, long time ago, in 1986-87. And so they are two-time winners of this quote-unquote competition, extending all the way back with different names. But as far as Porto fans enjoying the good old days before the transfer market going crazy with Chelsea in the mid-2000s and Real Madrid in 2009, Neymar and Barca's big buys with Coutinho and Usmane Dembele, it does feel like a different world that we are living in. But... I also want to remind you again, Porto, they do have some Champions League pedigree. And as far as Barcelona's legacy with Porto as well, the man of the match in that 2004 final was none other than Barca's sporting director in, in Deco, who missed crossing over with former academy prospects in 2008 to 2015, João Felix, who went on to become a player of note for Benfica instead and broke some Porto hearts. So that's just one of those little minor storylines or anything, because getting into the Barcelona side of things, Zach did talk about the back line for Barcelona. And yeah, between Ronald Araujo, Jules Koundé, and Andres Christensen, I mean, you have as much of an idea as me. There is that game, start one, bench one, cut one. But the actual situation for Xavi is you have to start two and bench one. And Araujo was rested against Sevilla on Friday, having just come back from injury and not looked fully fit against Mallorca. And I would assume he was rested against Sevilla to come in and play against Porto, but we'll have to see. And then Kunde has arguably been Barca's best player at least top three this season. And Christensen has been the most consistent and best left back for Barca in a while. So, I mean, my gut says it's Kunde at left back and it's Ronda Rajo at right back. I think that's where Xavi's going to go with this. And with Christensen also having these nagging injuries to start this season, I think as Christensen, as I said, he's probably been the most consistent from game to game. Kunde has been the best as in highest ceiling, but he has also been at his worst, worse than Christensen's worst, I think this year too. And that's also a different nature of their jobs because Kunde usually does have to run with the, the better athlete or the quicker player of if they're playing two up top or whoever it may be. And then Christensen is the one who's a bit more reactive and does help support Balde there out on the left. So it is Kunde kind of right in the middle of the field having to deal with that first run on a counterattack. So Kunde is the one who does get exposed a little bit more, but it's also by the nature. He also, oddly enough, has not been dribbled past yet, though, either. So when I say exposed, I just mean that a counterattack is on and they get deeper position. And yeah, he's had one or two little things here or there this season, uh, even playing the ball out of the back. But Kunde, as I said, consistently has probably been Barca's best defender this year. And then up in the attack, Lewandowski was rested last week, so he won't be rested again, I think, maybe until 2024. I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of mean it. And then on the left of the midfield injuries, I think we can expect it's still going to be Zhao Felix, even though his form has dipped a little bit since those two five O's, obviously. But then that midfield, you know, it's funny. I did see Gabi and Fermi Lopez and Gundogan as the pivot, but 
I don't think that's where Xavi goes here with Firmin Lopez starting. I mean, obviously, Firmin Lopez, I think, is going to be coming off the bench. He's the only real midfield sub that they have at the moment. But I think that Xavi is going to start or Romeo, Gundogan, and Gabi. I think that midfield pretty much picks itself with all the injuries. Then that front three, the big question, I think, really is who starts on that right wing. Result-wise, even talent-wise, it is Lamine Yamal who just re-signed that contract until 2026. But when he turns 18 in 2025, it's supposed to be an extension to 2030. So I throw a lot of numbers and extensions and things out there. But all you need to know is he is re-signed until 2026 with a billion euro release clause. So he will not be going anywhere until he is at least 19 years old to FC Barcelona. So, yep, he will be on a contract to at least 19. But yeah, then the question is, is it him? Was it Ferran Torres? I think, again, talent-wise, result-wise, it's Lamine Mall. But just like Rafinha, I think the starter still to protect Lamine Mall being 16 and physically having to take his time with him. And Xavi has worn Kool-Aids. You know, you have to handle players with caution at that age. And I think that might be the right thing to do. So I still think Barcelona is talented enough. And Ferran Torres still on the wing does give you enough on that right wing to kind of, we'll say, survive in this one with the rest of the team kind of clicking and you try to pick your best 10 otherwise. And you know, Lamini Mall, just like Fermin Lopez, can come into this game and change it. And if, as Zach said, Porto does choose to give Barcelona the ball and play in almost a low block or a medium block by their standards and try to counterattack, I think Ferran Torres puts in a defensive shift for you and you survive, if you will, until if the game is something that needs to be rescued, Lamini Mall and Fermi Lopez really do have the ability to unlock that game and change things around. So that's where I would go and how I would pick things with, you know, let's say the Ferran Torres is the starter, but you have Ferran Torres start that game. And I think Lamini Ball can against a Porto side give you something off the bench. So again, Zach Lowe, I want to thank him for coming on the show. Some technical difficulties, as I, as I mentioned, kind of prevented us from finishing out the show and doing the rest of it with him. But I appreciate everything he shared about FC Porto, which, as I said, feels like this is for the group in the Champions League because for Barcelona, it's away and you expect them to take care of business. Even though it's not the camp, no, it's Montjuic, it's Europe. You expect Barcelona to take care of business at home, but they still have work to do. They have demons that they have to exercise and that's still work to be done. You can either follow Zach on his individual X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, that's in the show notes or down in the, the comment section below. Or you can follow him along with Breaking the Lines, which is his website that he started, which I would say a lot of terrific written content. But again, him and his team have done a lot of good work across all the football, not just Portuguese football, but, you know, Barcelona stuff and the like sprinkled in there as well. So that's Breaking the Lines. And then we are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the Barcelona Pod, Patreon, the Barcelona Podcast, Close Group, Barcelona Podcast, Answer the Question, let's in. And of course, a good rating on the podcast apps and subscribing to the YouTube channel. That is the biggest help that you can give me as that continues to push the show in front of as many people as humanly possible. Most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barcelona. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.